for this day, this day that you have made, this day that you have given to us, a day that we have to worship you and to know you, to know your Son, Jesus Christ, who saved us from our sins. I pray, Father God, that you would quiet our hearts and our minds now, Father God, as we look at your word, that we may be challenged today, encouraged, may be rebuked if necessary. Father God, that we would learn to love you more and more through your word. We thank you for this day, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The thing about preaching a message on Father's Day is that there's so many different ways it can go. But as I was thinking about this, what is often funny and yet often sad, depending on the context, is that in our culture, in our world today, one of the most laughable or often made fun of individuals is that of fathers. You almost can't watch any sitcom without the dad being the brunt of the jokes or portrayed as the dumb one or the stupid one or the ignorant one. And oftentimes, I think that's a reflection of our society, that what do dads have to offer outside of maybe bringing in the paycheck or whatnot. But what we want to see today is what it looks like for a demonstration or a challenge of love in action. What comes to mind when we think of what a man is? Is he supposed to be a certain age? Is he supposed to be able to perform certain tasks? If a man can't change a tire, is he not a man? If he doesn't work 40 hours a week, is he not a man? Does that define him or qualify who he is or what he's supposed to do? Men demonstrate different behaviors. And because our society is really getting lost on that idea of what is a man or what is a father, I think oftentimes we come and we really don't know what to say. How do we define one? How do we challenge? How do we say, this is a man or this is a man of God? The scripture is pretty clear on these things. We want to look at and see that although men behave differently in different personalities, God is pretty clear on his instruction. A little context of our passage today, we'll be turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. One commentator says this, The greater part of the book of 1 Corinthians is in the, is in the form of rebuke and correction. The first 14 chapters deal primarily with the bad behavior taking place. And chapter 15 deals with the bad theology that has come into the church. Even chapter 13, the beautiful treatise on love, was given to correct the lovelessness that so characterized the Corinthian church. But the rebuke and correction were themselves given out of deep love. Paul was steeped in the love of God. And his rebuke, like the Lord's own rebuke to of his children, was always given out of love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, Paul gives us five final imperatives or commands to the Corinthians. These commands are, in many ways, what Paul wants to end on, on a positive note for the letter of 1 Corinthians to this church. So we want to look at today, if you turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 through 14. When it comes to focusing on a message, 
whether aimed at fathers and men on Father's Day, there could be a lot of mixed emotion. Because some of us have lost fathers, whether through passing or abandonment. Some of us have hurts and past feelings of neglect. We wonder, how do we navigate these waters? Because in the same time, we're a church, a local body, and that's what the Apostle Paul is getting at. Because there's men who are longing to be good fathers. There's even men who are not yet fathers or not yet married. And they want to exemplify what it means to walk with the Lord and be challenged in these ways. So although Paul gives these five commands, only one of them is really directed at men. The rest are directed to the church as a whole. So I think sometimes the temptation can be on Father's Day that maybe those of us who aren't fathers, mothers, or women, can zone out. I think the same thing can happen on Mother's Day. The pastor's preaching to the ladies, therefore the men can kind of zone out. And his scripture teaches us that these are the characteristics that are to be demonstrated of the body of Christ. So as we go through our text, we want to see that, yes, it's directed at the men, but not just fathers, but the church as a whole. So let's read together. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. It says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Five imperatives, five commands that Paul wants to offer the church to challenge them to grow. Five ways men can demonstrate maturity in Jesus Christ. So the first point I want you to focus on this evening, if you're taking notes, is this. A man's responsibility is to be aware of all things in life. A man's task is to be alert of what is going on in his life and in the lives of those he loves and cares about. Because Paul writes very, in the very first two words, Be watchful. Be watchful. This first imperative, this first command is this. You need to be watchful in both the good and the bad that is taking place in the world around us. And this is what I find sad about our society. This is what I find sad about often the way fathers are portrayed or men are portrayed on television and books and other societies. The men are passive. Men don't care about what's taking place. I get up in the morning, I go to work, I make money, I come home, please don't bother me. And then we're often shocked when something happens in our world, our society, and we don't know how to think about it. We don't know how to process it. One translation, another translation of scripture says that a man is to be alert, to be watchful, to be awake, to be vigilant, to be on guard. I like movies. Those who know me really well know that. Especially the more action that's involved in them, the better. There's something about a man who's preparing for war. There's something about a man who's seen combat, who is watchful, who is vigilant. kind of strikes us in such a way that we want to focus, want to pay attention. And yet when the movie's done or whatever uh, goes on passing, we think, oh, well, that doesn't really apply to me because I'm not in war. And yet the Bible is clear in saying, you need to be watchful about what is taking place. And what this, this is demonstrated all throughout the New Testament. Pastor John MacArthur identifies six areas throughout the New Testament where men and women are to be watchful for what is taking place in the world. Four of these are negative. Two of them are positive. Here they are. What ways are we to be watchful? Number one, we're to be watchful 
for Satan. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 tells us that our adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That's a scary thought. The spiritual warfare is real. The devil is active. He has an agenda. He has business. And that is to tear God's people down, looking for someone to devour. We may watch on the Discovery Channel or National Geographic sometimes what lions do, how they prowl around, how they attack. Sometimes I watch those shows and wonder what idiot is trying to get his camera so close before something's going to happen. And yet it's a real-life depiction of what our adversary, the devil, is doing. Are we aware of what he's trying to do? How he's trying to tear us down and deceive us, trying to bring temptation into our lives to steer us away from following the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be watchful. Secondly, and this goes with the first one, secondly, we are to be watchful of temptation. What temptations, what, what tempts us? Is it the lust of our flesh? Is it our minds? The wicked thoughts that begin to pop up and creep up? Is it our tongue, our behavior? What brings temptation? What do we listen to? We're going about our daily life, whether at work or home, and we hear something, gossip, juicy. We want to know, oh, turn my ear to hear what is taking place. I wonder what they are talking about, that individual. What information can I know? Is that a temptation for us? Are we watchful to say, no, I don't, I don't want to listen to that. I don't want to think negatively about that person. Is it what we say, our speech, what comes out of our mouth? Are we saying such words or such content of our words or the tone of our words that depict that could cause others to stumble and fall? What do we think on? What captivates our hearts and our minds and our thoughts day in and day out to tempt us to be deceitful, to tempt us to be arrogant, to tempt us to be rude? Be watchful of these things. Number three, be watchful, be alert against apathy, against indifference. When I read that one, I was like, oh, that just sounds like men in our world today. Apathetic, indifferent. Eh, I don't really care. You decide. You make the choice today. I really don't want to. How can we be alert? How can we be watchful? How can we be vigilant? Don't be indifferent. Don't be apathetic. Don't say, eh, it doesn't really apply to me. A fourth one. We need to beware and watchful of false teachers. Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 5 warn us of this in the church. We welcome people who come into the midst of God's people, and we want to get to know them. We want to say, hey, do you know about Jesus Christ? I want, we want you here to learn and grow, but we need to be watchful when things start getting talked about. That We go, that doesn't quite, no, that's not what Scripture says. I don't think that's what it means. I think you're twisting it. Otherwise, we begin to, oh, yeah, that sounds good. Oh, that sounds good, too. You know, doesn't really bother me. Oh, that, you know, maybe... Maybe that's a little bit different opinion, but, you know, if he thinks that, that's okay. But to be watchful, to be vigilant, to say, no, that's not what Scripture says. And two positive ways we can be watchful are these. We're to be watchful in prayer. Colossians 1, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 says, uh, tells us to be watchful, to continue in prayer. Do we have a mindset of prayer? Do we have a mindset that we want to go before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm I'm struggling. I'm struggling with this. I'm bringing it before you. I'm continuing. Lord, I'm watching what my family's going through. I really don't like the choices they're making. I've tried to talk to them, and I don't seem to be getting anywhere. So I'm going to continue to pray. 
I'm going to continue to watch and see what you do. Bring these things before the Lord. And number six, the sixth way to be watchful is this, to be watchful for the return of Christ. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, remind us to be watchful. That we come to church and we, we talk and we hope in the return of Jesus Christ. We say, until the Lord's return, we see a tragedy takes place on the local news. And we say, oh Lord, come quickly. And then yet we live the rest of our lives thinking, mm, I, hope he, I hope he tarries a little bit longer. I want to enjoy these things. I want to enjoy these pleasures of life. I want to enjoy my, my family a little bit longer. You know, I hope he's not rushing back. But we can be watchful that, to know that, yes, indeed, the Lord will return at any point. But are we living in such a way that when he does, we're ready? Or to say that when the Lord returns, are we behaving in such a way that I hope he doesn't return at this moment because I would be pretty ashamed because I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. When we think about these things being watchful, being alert, being vigilant, how would we feel if those in our society or more specifically, how do we feel if a police officer, those who are sworn to protect and to serve, were kind of apathetic, indifferent? A call comes across the radio and he goes, eh, yeah, I got the last one. It's the other guy's turn. We would throw a fit. We'd be like, what are you doing? We need you. And yet, I think that's a good depiction of what men are to be like in the church. We show up, we listen, we learn, we sing a few songs, we go home. I did it last time. Somebody else's turn. Oh, that really doesn't apply to me. And yet scripture's clear. Be watchful. Be alert. Be that first line of defense. We need to be watchful of the things, of the dangers in life that are taking place around us. What this means for us is that we need to engage our minds. We've been talking a lot about that in Sunday school. What does it mean to think? What does it mean to have a renewed mind? We need to engage our minds in such a way that we know that we're aware of what is taking place in the world around us, especially those closest to us. But we have to be practical. We can't be aware of everything. That'd get overwhelming. We would spend all of our time watching for dangers or watching for the things we like. We wouldn't have time to do anything else. But we also can't go by passively thinking, well, it doesn't affect me. It doesn't affect my wife or my kids, so I'm not going to worry about it. And then our society changed, and we go, what happened? How are people thinking this way? I don't know what to say. I don't know where to respond. My kids are asking me these questions. I don't know how to answer them because we have not been watchful. Paul's challenge to the Corinthian church is to be watchful, be vigilant, be on your guard. He goes on with the second one, the second command, the second imperative that Paul gives in this verse. As it is to stand firm in the faith. A man's responsibility is to know what he believes about his faith in Christ. The man is to stand firm on the foundation and the truth of the Bible. He says, stand firm in the faith. This is your hope in Jesus Christ. Stand firm on the truth of the message of salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one who has come to save us from our sins. We even talked about that this morning in Sunday school. They're non-negotiables. Jesus Christ did come. He did die on a cross for us. He did rise again. He did return to the Father, and he's coming back again to get his church. Do we stand on the truth of the gospel, the foundation that God's word is true, God's word does not change? 
I'm often grieved when I run into men who I've known for a long time, especially, uh, it seems more and more so in our society, it's, it's younger men, many whom I went to Bible college with. And I talk with them, mostly through social media. And when I met them at first, they were so zealous for the Bible, hungry for the, for the Bible. So much so that it made me a bit envious. Man, I need to study more like them. And today they're like, eh, I don't care. I don't want to. It's boring. It doesn't apply to me. It's just an old book. Somebody convinced me otherwise. How le- easily thoughts and opinions and ideas and persuasions can lead us astray. Going back to the first point, because we're not watchful, we're not on guard to listen to what is taking place, to be able to say, no, that's not right. This is what's true. Paul writes, stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in these things. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, if you want to turn there. As Paul is challenging the church at Corinth, he wants to remind them of all that is taking place. And Paul says, verse 1, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Did you believe in vain in such a way that when a challenge comes up, we say, well, I like his argument better. He says, I hope not. I hope that you didn't believe in vain. That you would hold fast to the word of the gospel that was preached to you, in which you stand. This is your foundation. This book, of the, this book of God is not some opinions or ideas. It is the foundation of our lives. What does God think about this? What does the Bible say? I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. Well, what does the Bible say? This is our foundation. And so often, more and more, the Bible is not our foundation. I read a while back of an article, GQ Magazine. I had published an article and uh, GQ magazine is often geared towards men. And in it, there was this long article about books. Now, you know me, I like books. And this article was advocating that reading is good. But this article took on a, upon itself, or the author of this article, to tell the, the readers of GQ magazine what they should read and what they shouldn't read. So they were doing some very simple things with some things. They said, you know, you know popular books in our world today are like The Lord of the Rings. You know, but they're so long. Read, so, read something shorter. You know, don't let something so long consume your, your time. You know, may, maybe you should read Sherlock Holmes and not Tom Sawyer. I mean, it's kind of going back and forth all along like that. And it came to one point, because it was listed of 22 books you should read and 22 you should not. And number 21 listed in GQ magazine was, don't read the Bible. It's a waste of time. It's outdated doesn't matter. It's not even good literature. Read this book instead. I don't even remember what the book was. Never heard of it. But stand firm on the faith. Stand firm in your faith, Paul says, in which you are being saved, which I preach to you. There in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul ends that chapter. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Be steadfast, immovable. Yeah, I'll, I'll move out of the way when somebody says, excuse me. When somebody says, well, how about you apologize for the offensive things that are found in Scripture? No, I won't. No, I won't. You know that book is outdated, don't you? You know, 
my, my friend, you know, he, he's in a relationship with another man. I know the Bible says don't do that, but that book's just weird and old. No, I'm not going to move. I'm not going to be immovable, but rather steadfast in these things, always abounding in the work of the Lord. We need to consider our ways of thinking, both right and wrong. We need to think about what shapes us. What are we filling our minds with? Are we easily swayed because there's so many different ideas and so many different philosophies coming into our way of thinking? We must be wise in all that we think. We must be wise in what we say. We must be wise in what we do. Because the world is giving us a message all the time. How much time are we consuming the world's message compared to God's message? This is how we become movable. This is how we lose our steadfastness. Because there's so many different ideas floating around and we're not sure what to think anymore. But when we want to think about that more personally, we say, well, that just sounds, that sounds right. That sounds, you know, I, I get what you're saying. But when it comes to reality, when we're thinking about men specifically, what do we think about a double-minded man? One who is unstable in all his ways, who can't seem to make up his mind about anything. He's not trustworthy. We don't go to him. We don't entrust ourselves to him. We don't talk to him. We actually go out of our way to make sure we avoid them. And yet scripture says, don't do that. Be firm in your foundation. Be firm in the faith. Make up your mind. Make a choice. Make a decision, especially in matters regarding scripture, especially in matters regarding your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody likes to go to a man they can't trust. Paul says, stand firm in the faith. As God's people, men and women, we need to know what we believe. We need to know what his word says more than ever. When a challenge comes up, how are we going to give an answer that says, no, this is what the Bible says. I'm not going to move. I'm not going to budge. I'm going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ in these things. The third point, the third imperative, the third command that Paul gives is he says to act like men. This one's very specific. Act like men. A man's responsibility is to act like a man of God. A man is to behave in such a way that shows maturity and growth as a follower of Jesus Christ. Act like men. Now Paul has, is getting to this here at the end of the book, but we want to understand a bit of the context. If, we, if you flip back over to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, I, I am grieved. Something is taking place among you in the church. It is this. You've allowed somebody to live in sin and haven't corrected them. There is a man in your church who is sleeping with his father's wife. I think, Ew, that's gross. I think, what in the world is taking place? Well, Corinth was a corrupt society. It was a very immoral society. The very idea of a marriage that honors the Lord was a bit of a foreign concept. So as these believers are coming to faith and growing, they're being challenged. But even though they're growing, Paul says, you still don't have it all. You're allowing immorality to take place. We think of a man who sleeps around and does things like that. We think, wow, he's childish. So as Paul gets to the end of the book and he wants to challenge them, he says, don't act like children. Act like men. Be strong in these things. Be courageous. That comes with making the hard choices and the choices that cannot be made apart from Jesus Christ. 
You need to be growing in maturity. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20, Paul gets to the heart of this once again. He says, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. He says, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Now, I, I was trying to put myself in that position a little bit as I was thinking about that. What would it be like to hear the Apostle Paul say, Hey, guys, Stop being like children. I don't think there's anything that might attack a guy's ego or a man's pride quicker than saying, you're childish. And Paul says, I, wa- I don't want you to be childish. And not only that, if you're going to be childish, I want you to be childish in the ways of evil. I want you to think like a child in the sense that you don't let the, the wicked things of this world influence you so much. We take in so much information. We think about these things. We think, how much evil are we aware of? How much does it saturate our time and attention? We're not very childish in the ways of evil. We're actually quite mature in the ways of evil because our minds are so deceived. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking of my own kids. Because many of you know and have seen Anna recently, her three-year-old mind. Some of her favorite statements lately are, Why? What's that? How come? Why are you doing that? I can't seem to leave the, a room and go to another room without her, her asking me, where are you going, Daddy? I can't grab a, a cup without her saying, why'd you pick that one? And on and on and on the question goes. Debbie and I are constantly trying to find ways to answer her in a way that satisfies her and yet doesn't allow her to ask another question. She often outsmarts us, too, and asks more questions. And I think that's a good example of the ways we're to be regarding evil. Say, well, what's that? Not that we need to go explore it, but we're thinking, well, I'm, I'm rather ignorant of it. Good. It's evil. He says in that passage, but in your thinking, be mature. Be mature about the things of the God. Be tr- mature about the things of Christ. Be mature about the things in which you think on. And in these things, we think of self-control and confidence in the Lord. Ephesians chapter 4, I'll read it for you. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 13 through 15 tells us this. That as we grow in God's word, we grow until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up into every way which is the head unto Christ. We need to grow up in the ways of God. We need to grow up in the ways of God's word. Don't be children tossed to and fro. Oh, I like that idea. Oh, I like that idea. I can do that with my kids pretty easily. I can dangle something in front of them. I can get them to say, when Will doesn't finish his food, say, I'll give you a cookie. His food goes down really quickly. And yet our society baits us with different things in life. We can think, oh, I like that idea. Oh, I like that idea. Oh, that sounds good too. Oh, I like this guy. And all of a sudden we're thinking, we're not thinking like ourselves. We're thinking like the ideas we've heard. And all of a sudden our ideas are a mixture of a bunch of different ideas. It says, be mature in these things. Don't don't be tossed to and fro like the waves of the sea, carried about by every wind of doctrine. But rather... Speak the truth in love and grow up in Jesus Christ. Act like men. This is Paul's warning. This is Paul's challenge. 
we often laugh at the silly behavior and the stu- stupidity that is often portrayed in the lives of men. Now, for some in here, they may not remember the show, but uh, one show I liked growing up a lot was Home Improvement, Tim the Toolman Taylor, and all the stupid things he would do. Because he, he was a mark of a man in our society, in a sense, I know how to work with tools, I know how to work with my hands. But he often went above and beyond and caused more harm than good in the process. Kind of becomes a, a staple of what men are to look like. And yet this silly behavior is childish. And it is portrayed again and again. And I think, sadly, it's not just television. It's real life. It's reality of those we know. Now, there is nothing wrong with having fun. We talk about stop being childish. I love to have fun with my kids. I love to have fun with friends. But it's not about stopping certain behavior, but it's rather about what defines us, what marks us. Are we known as childish? Are we known as childish in our behavior and our actions? Or are we known for growing in maturity, but who can also have fun in the process? The fourth command. The fourth imperative. A man's responsibility is to be strong. A man shows his strength in the ways he lives. That is his character. Paul says, be strong. Pretty simple command. Now remember, commands are not suggestions. Commands are very specific. Do this. It's not optional. So he says, be strong. This is your character. Who you are. It's your conduct. What you do, how you behave, what defines you, how do you care about yourself? Can people see that you don't care about your body in such a way that says, man, he doesn't take care of himself? What comes out of the mouth, what goes on and on on a regular basis? There was one time last semester when I was uh, going downtown to Moody for classes. You gotta love Chicago drivers. So much fun. Rarely ever. But there was one night I was coming and pulling out of a certain uh, section of road. And uh, sometimes you just got to cut people off because otherwise you'll just sit there forever. I'm like, I'm going to take this opportunity. There's a big enough gap. I'm going to jump in front. Well, the guy I jumped in front of, he did not like that very much because at the next stoplight, he made sure to come up alongside me and roll down his window. And I don't know how many profanities I heard come out of his mouth at me. I was like, I'm going to leave my window up right now. Just look ahead, look straight before me. Hopefully the light will change soon, on and on. And it just kept going on and on. And yet the character of conduct, what comes out of us? What marks us? Paul writes, be strong. How do you live your life day to day in such a way? Walking in integrity, walking in the things of the Lord. And this doesn't come without hardship. It doesn't come without a spiritual battle. Because even Jesus warned his disciples, if you're going to come after me, if you're going to follow after me, Luke 9 tells us, you need to deny yourself each day. Each day you get up, you deny yourself, you take up your cross, and you follow me. You can't do it on your own. You can't be strong apart from Christ. There might be physical strength. Yeah, I know a lot of strong guys. But if we're talking about our character and our conduct, growing in maturity and the strength of the Lord, we can't do it without Christ. It is denying ourselves and saying, Lord, today I need you because I am only thinking about me as a sinner. As a sinful, selfish person, I think about me a lot. So Paul writes later on, 
1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Therefore, let no one think that he stands, takes heed, lest he fall. Don't let your pride be your downfall. Don't think in such a way that, hey, I'm good. I'm strong. I got this. Everything's under control. Doesn't phase me. Doesn't bother me. Scripture says, be warned. Take heed. Because that might have just been the first step of your downfall. Don't let it mark you. When we think about these things, it's hard because of our society today. In our culture, there has been many downfalls lately. Many prominent men, many men who have been faithful preachers of the gospel for many years. And yet their leadership has been tarnished. It has been torn. It has been ripped apart. It has been taken from them. Whether, through, whether they repented or not. These past sinful behaviors and unrepentance towards God has left a mark. And we need to be reminded that God knows these things, and he brings them to light. We get up here every Sunday, and we say, God is good. We believe, say all the time that God is good. And in God's goodness, because he loves us, because he wants to discipline us, he brings that sinful behavior to light. Because God's not going to be mocked in these things. To be strong in the Lord. When we think about being men or husbands and fathers, we're the first line of defense of our loved ones. God has trusted us in that, that charge into our care. Scripture is clear on this. We are to be courageous. We are to be on guard. We are to guard against the evil one. We are to lead by example. And oftentimes our example is in sinful behavior because we're sinful fallen creatures. But we need to lead in the good things that we do. Oftentimes, we're, as men, we're often the first to sin. But as a result, are we going to be the first to respond in repentance? Not just to the Lord, which needs to happen, but to our loved ones. Are we going to be strong enough to say, I was wrong. I sinned. I spoke out of turn. I said something I shouldn't have. I spoke to my kids in a way that after I had said it, I saw the look on their face. And I repent of that in such a way. That we're going to lead by example and be strong. The last command, number five, the fifth imperative. Paul writes, verse 14, Let all that you do be done in love. A man's responsibility is to live in such a way that demonstrates the love of Christ. A man serves and leads out of love for Christ and those he cares about for in the everyday things of life. So he writes, let all that you do be done in love. Love is demonstrated not always in feelings, but in action. Are you going to do something that others can see you care for your loved ones? Is all that you're going to be to do be done out of love. How? It is selfless, selfless love, a behavior of love, actions of love. A man who lives biblically shows these things, this, the love of Christ. One commentator says this about verse 14. We see that such courage goes hand in hand with a loving relationship. Even here we may detect the power of Christ's cross where courage and love perfectly meet. Christ Jesus, who came in the world to save sinners. Christ Jesus, who came in the world and, said, and demonstrated work, 
demonstrated a strong attitude, demonstrated a behavior that was glorifying to his Father in heaven, and yet all the while loving those around him continually again and again. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. We can spend multiple messages just unpacking each line by line in those verses alone. But here's the thing. Love is selfless. It is thinking about the others. It is putting the others' needs in front of our own. Conducting ourselves, behaving in such a way that we love. We love out of action. That it's not about what I want. I get up in the morning, the first thing I think about is what I want. What makes me happy. What satisfies me. It's a sinful behavior, oftentimes, out of pride. Not always. But oftentimes we get up in the morning and the first thing is about how do I gratify myself? How do I make sure that my day is going to go just as I want? How do I make sure that no one bothers me so I can get the work done I need to? And yes, as love is patient and kind, does not envy or boast, is not rude or irritable. I tell you, being a father of three young babies, there's wonderful good days. And then there's days where I'm just like, stop talking. Please. Please stop talking. And the Bible says, love is not irritable. I tell you, in those moments, I'm pretty irritable. Daddy, please, more, 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 more. Like calming down in such a way to think love is not irritable, but love in action. How are we going to serve even when it inconveniences us? So, oh, just another interruption in my day. And so Paul writes to the church in Corinth, all these things you've been doing, all these things I've called you on, this sinful behavior that is taking place in the church, here's my final command to you. Here's my final instruction to you. Let all that you do be done in love. Not some things, not the things you like and the things you don't like, but all things that you do, day in and day out those closest to you and those who may not be as close to you, whether you're married or single, whether you have children or not. You're to be marked in such a way that love, the love of Christ, is demonstrated in your actions again and again. We need to think of an example for how we can live this out. What men in our lives can we emulate, whether they're our fathers or other men closest to us? But even more so, We need to think about Jesus Christ because some of us have been hurt, scarred. We don't have that man in our lives. Whether he's a father or not, we don't know what to do. It hasn't been demonstrated for us clearly. We don't know what that wonderful character of godliness and mature love looks like. So we need to look to Jesus Christ, who's the perfect example of love that has been demonstrated. Jesus was watchful in all that he did. He was firm in his Father's will. He was self-controlled in all things, especially in regards to opposition. You can't read through the Gospels at all without seeing the opposition that arose against Jesus. And yet again and again, his love and action, even when he had to get really serious, 
that love and action that was under control. He was strong, going all the way to the cross for us. Jesus even said the night he was betrayed, praying in the garden. He said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus went off into his fleshly side and said, I give up. I don't quit. I don't want to. I'm not going to die for everybody else. I want to live. But being the God-man, he went all the way. He stood strong all the way for us. This is a demonstration of love and action. I think about what defines a man. We begin our discussion that way. What qualities must they possess? What do they have to do? And sometimes we define men too much by what they do and not who they are. We don't always care about their character or their conduct, but are they capable to perform certain tasks? Are they a certain age? Again, we need to focus on Jesus Christ because he demonstrated all these things. Jesus, we often can forget about, that he was a carpenter. Now, I I read an article recently. I found it very fascinating. We think of carpentry. What do we think about? We think of wood. We think of hammers and nails, which is certainly true. But when it comes to the first century and the days in which Jesus lived, it was more stonework. That Jesus, when he, if he was the carpenter in Nazareth, he built houses. They built tables and chairs and other things. But if he was building houses, there was certainly wood involved, but a lot more stone. Jesus knew how to work. And to top that off, I, I tell you, I've, I've been to the ruins of Nazareth. It's a very small town. A few hundred people, if that, lived in Jesus' day. So most likely, he was their only carpenter. He knew how to work, but at the age of 30... He knew it was time to begin his father's will, the ministry that God had called him to, demonstrating this love and action. He loved and cared for his family those 30 years. And then he went out and made disciples. He taught the multitudes. He healed the sick. He had compassion on those who were like sheep without a shepherd. And he says, I've come to do my father's will. He was strong all the way to the end. Men, we need to work hard out of love. Our actions need to demonstrate to those we care for, to those God has placed in our care. And we need to do it not because it's what we're supposed to do, because it's what God wants us to do. And we need to do it in a way that glorifies our Lord Jesus Christ, working for him and not ourselves, working to please him and not everyone around us, working to say, I care what God thinks more than what others think. So as we think about these things, as we think about this Father's Day, Paul writes, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Paul says, this is the challenge I want to give you. This is what I want to remind you to do today. Are you only going to think of yourself, or are you going to think about others in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Culture and popular opinions cannot and should not define us or describe us or tell us what a man is supposed to do or not do, what he is able to do or not able to do. But rather, the Bible needs to be our source of what a man of God is like in all things, in all that he does, day in and day out. Let us pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for another day to praise you, to know you, to worship you. I pray, Father God, that
not just the men in here, fathers or not, but the men, the women, young and old. Father God, that we would demonstrate the love of Christ in our actions, in our service to our families, to our loved ones, to our church. That we would be watchful, Father God, of the dangers of this life and the evil one who is seeking to devour us. That we would stand firm on your word. That it would shape our minds and our decisions. That we would act mature in such a way that glorifies you, that we would be strong even when opposition arise and we don't always know what to say but we run to you who's our foundation. Thank you, Father God, for your word. Thank you for these commands. Let us not take them lightly but rather think on them, meditate on them, and do them. We give you the praise for these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.